Hi everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Swisspreneur. Today we're here at Effinger in Bern, where Chris actually started his first program ever of his new initiative, Power Coders. Today I'm going to talk with him about what makes a good idea and how you successfully test and execute it. This episode is brought to you by SBB Startup, and if you think that your startup company is a great fit to the Swiss Railways, please learn more about them or get in touch with them on sbbstartup.com. Now let's go and have a chat with Chris. Welcome back to the second episode of Swisspreneur. Uh, today we have a topic focus and we talk with Chris Hersig, the former uh, host of Swisspreneur, about ideas, what makes good ideas, and when it's time to move on and move to the next idea. Chris, thank you so much for being here again, for taking the time to talk about this with me today. I would like to jump into the topic right away and ask you the question, what mistakes do you see startups, startup founders make over and over again in Switzerland? Yeah, thanks for having me again. And, um, and I think that's like a, a very, very important question and, and a very um, important place to start because in the end, if you go with the wrong idea, you will like be stuck with it for a lot of years. Like when you look at startups, what, how long does it take to like become a really successful startup? I would say it's like five, seven, ten years. And so if you go with the wrong idea, um, there are two things. Like one is that you are not very happy in building it because you might feel um, it's just not what I wanted to do. And then the second thing is that um, it is like very tough to build because you chose the wrong idea or you didn't place it in the right niche. So I think the most important mistake that someone can do is that they don't think about what is my job like you should not just think about what is the idea but take the idea and then think about what is my job or what are the jobs that will come with this idea and am i qualified to do this job and am i willing to do this job for five seven or ten years because what i didn't realize when i started at tiso I didn't realize that my job will be mainly selling my product. So I was the head of sales. And if I would have known that, probably I would have pivoted or I would have found a setup where I would be able to make sure that I'm not ending up in that role. But I was not aware of that because I didn't think about it. And so I think that's the most important thing. And then the second thing I see is that people spend too much time um, on writing plans or crafting plans. It can be a business plan. We already moved from a business plan more to like a pitch deck or something. I think that's mm -hmm. something which we're doing good. It's a good direction we are taking. But still, like I think if you are now doing instead um, of a Word document, you now do a PowerPoint document, you didn't get the point right. You can still invest the same amount of time. Into yeah, it. into like putting nice pictures or whatever. I think it's not so important about the, the documentation of the concept. The concept is important. It is really important that you think of But it's much more important to test the concept before you document it. And the Swiss founder is coming up with an idea, documenting the idea, and then testing it. I would recommend to come up with an idea, test it, and then document it. Because 
in the end, like in the testing phase, you will learn so much about your idea that the documentation anyway is not valid anymore. And so it should be an iteration of a process where you come up and you improve the idea, you pivot it a little bit, and then you really find the angle which, which works well. How could such a test look like from your perspective? Maybe you can give an example of a TESO or in, in, in general. Yeah, so um, a TESO is already a little bit long ago. And I think in Atizo we didn't do it like as we should have done it. Like we did a lot of documentation and we even wrote like business plans, like version 23 or something like that, like really bad. So I would not take that as a good example to share here, um, rather as a bad one. But maybe I can show like a little bit how we did it with Power Coders. So Power Coders didn't even have a presentation and I approached the Migro Kultur Prozent um, if they would think about to sponsor a pilot. And then they said yes, so I had to make a documentation, but I did the documentation of what we were going to do to actually raise 100,000k to then do a pilot. So I think that's the way how it should be. And then I did, before I approached the Migro Kultur Procent, I invited um, uh, IT companies without any documentation, just sending out an email and saying, hey, we want to start a coding academy for refugees. We are interested to, uh, to find out if you would be open to offer internships or if you would be open to send employees to teach at our school. We would like to discuss that over a beer. Would you join us for an evening? And then we just had an open discussion, like a focus group, where we discussed the idea. And during that evening, I learned so much about how do we have to craft it? How do we have to sell it? That it is like really first ask someone, someone to give feedback and then like invest more into documentation, ask about feedback, invest more into documentation and not like it's actually, there is a great paper out there. It's like called um, the cathedral versus the bazaar. And it is comparing the open source industry with, with, the, uh, with the, the Microsoft model. And the cathedral is someone is building a cathedral, they put like a white blanket over it, and then when the day comes, they uh, tear down the blanket and there is the cathedral. Um, but then maybe someone said, but I didn't want a cathedral. How did you come up with the idea that I want a cathedral? I need a schoolhouse, for example, or whatever. Uh, but no one realized it because they were all the time under their blanket and no one saw what they were building. And then you have the bazaar where the whole, the whole day they are sharing and they are like finding and, and trading and so on. So I would see the startup evolving process of an idea way more like as a bazaar than as a cathedral. And when I look back on 10 or 20 years startup experience in Switzerland, we had way more the cathedral mm -hmm. model approach. Yeah. When you were uh, writing these contacts for power coders, one very important point that you mentioned was asking for feedback and not like trying to sell them anything or being yeah. too specific. The contacts that you were approaching, did you know them before or did you outreach cold to them? No, I knew them before, but like, I think you're pointing to a very important thing there. Like if you are asking your best friends, there might be two bias they have. There could be a positive bias that they say, oh, I want Chris to strive with this idea they give me a better um, feedback than actually the real situation would be. Or there could also be a negative one that they say, oh no, I would like to be the guy who is doing something. Like I don't want to give him a too good feedback. I want to make the situation worse. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there, the, 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 the situation you have like in uh, asking friends, uh, the situation is that the, the, the friends 
could have like a certain bias and you have to be aware of that but on the other hand if you approach people who don't know they are way harder to get like inviting them over a beer is like difficult mm -hmm. building an atmosphere where they're actually sharing stuff it's super hard like they will really hold their cards close to their chest at the beginning yes so especially have, in switzerland like especially that. in switzerland yeah that's a swift thing actually yeah Maybe mainly in Switzerland, maybe not so much in the Silicon Valley, for example, you would get much more honest and straight feedback. But um, yeah, in Switzerland, like if you approach someone you don't know, they will always say nice, nice. And nice doesn't help you in any way. So you rather approach the ones you know and you take into account that they are might have a bias. Most of them will have a positive one. So really say, but now if someone, not me, if someone else would ask you that, mm -hmm. how would you answer them? Like you can, you can test it. Like you can put your questions and throw their question. I know like Silvan, you're such a nice guy. You're so nice to me, but now let's be really honest. If this would be your dad's business, would you also tell that? Would your dad say that to me? Like you can like really handle it and try to take this bias out. And I think that's the way better or the way more uh, um, attractive way to go than saying, okay, let's uh, ask people we don't know. I think later on, if you start like testing your product and try to sell it, then you have to do cold calling and approach companies to find out, can we really sell it? Absolutely. But at the, at the really idea stage, I would rather go with people. And then you like ask very critical thinkers. Like I know that I have like critical thinkers, friends of mine, and that's great. And sometimes it's like really good to hear at the beginning, and especially when like two or three friends who don't know each other and have different backgrounds are mentioning the same concern. That's like very valuable information. Then you know, okay, I have to dig deeper there. Are there any specific questions that you ask them to really find out if this idea is valuable or not? I think what I do is that I try to, um, to give them a role in my business model. So there are like several stakeholders. Are they like a reseller? Are they a customer? Um, are they um, uh, uh, maybe a media agency that you can drive uh, information about it, like, like a press or a blogger or someone? So if I give an example in Power Coders, we had the companies, we had the refugees, we had volunteers. So I was really like being very specific on the role that they would take in my model mm -hmm. and then um, crafting hypothesis to say, I believe that they would offer to a refugee an internship if this and that would happen. Mm -hmm. And then I was like really throwing the hypothesis, hypothesis testing and say, hey, and then uh, like you could even like, I didn't do that, but that would be a good idea that you say that you even give them like, okay, I'm now present you a CV, like a real CV of a guy that you actually could offer mm -hmm. and say, hey, look at this CV. Everyone looks now at that CV. Would you offer this person a six months internship? And then they would maybe come up, yes. And then you can always ask the why question. The why question is the most important question. And if you feel that there is more room for another why question, ask, yeah, now you would hire them, but why would you hire them? And then they say, yeah, because we think it's important to give back. Why do you think it's important to give back? Because we think everyone should give back. Why do you think everyone should give back? Like you really dig deep because then you go to the root. And if you understand the root, I think you can craft on one hand your product in that direction, but you can also craft your pitch in that direction. 
And if you know these trigger points, the next time you see someone, then you can really craft because everyone should be give back. Because I know now I spoke to 10 Swiss guys and they all said, um, Henri Dunant, the founder of the Red Cross, was, uh, was uh, starting the Red Cross in Switzerland. We have a humanitarian background. So that's the reason why we as Swiss have to give back. Then you can bring the story. If, that, if this guy is so important for them, then you even put him in a pitch deck. You have a picture of Henri Dunant and you say, okay, Red Cross was like 100 or 150 years ago. Now it's power coders. This is the new Red Cross. Get involved. Mm -hmm. Like if you, if you understand that this is the key message and this is the key driver. So from my perspective, to summarize that a bit, you first really think deep about what kind of people you want to invite to also have the different stakeholders, ideally with several people per stakeholder aspect present. Maybe, maybe not in the same focus group. Okay. Maybe you could, like with refugees and, and companies, maybe mm -hmm. it makes sense to do a refugee night okay. and a company night, makes but sense. know who, who it is. That's yes. really important. And then really dig deep to understand their like intrinsic motivation sort of to why they should get involved. And there. really understand the problem that you try to solve for them. You have to find out like with Atizo, we didn't solve the company's problem. We were giving them more ideas, but we did never went to a company and asked, do you need more ideas? Is this the thing you're struggling with? We did that from the outside. So if we would have known that the company said, no, we have enough ideas. We are struggling with implementation. Right. At the early beginning of Atiso, we would build, we would have built the company in a complete different way. As you described in the first episode, you also then sort of shifted to this consulting business, and that's actually more focused on the implementation than the idea right, generation. Right. right, and maybe we would have said, no, but idea implementation, that's not our thing. Reto, let's move on to another idea. Yes. Because at this early stage, no problem. Like we, we didn't, we had no sunk costs. We didn't invest ourselves. We didn't invest other people's money. So it would have been really easy. And so that's like, that's the beauty about the, the, this first uh, stage, like that this idea is so transformable, so easy to transform. And that's actually what I love to like work with the idea to find the angle, because that's where you set like the right, where you get the right setup for the mm -hmm. next five to seven years. Yeah, it also shows how important it is because that's the core basis where everything else will evolve from yeah. in the future. Yeah. Do you think that Swiss founders spend enough time sort of setting this groundwork and setting this foundation? Yes, but they're not very effective. It, why not? They're spending time to actually document. Okay. They take their idea and then they say, oh, we spend so much time in this early idea phase with documentation and crafting slide decks and doing nice things and writing business plans. Like I know people that they, they're spending like weeks in a, in a, in a, in a room and like working on it and then like sending it to people who have to read like so many pages and then they maybe read them, but they didn't understand. And then they get confusing feedback. Like, I think what you have to do, put your idea in a 60 or, or 120 second pitch and then go out and pitch it to different people. And then you get the feedback. Like you can get that feedback that they are spending like two or three weeks on. You can get that in one day. Absolutely. And that's actually, so I don't think that you have to spend more time, but you have to spend your time wisely in that phase. And I think that's where we have the, the leverage. So sort of change how you spend the time, less documenting, more testing. talking, testing. Testing. Yep. testing. Yeah. Now, once you hosted these feedback groups uh, or these, these sort of focus sessions, 
what's the next step from then actually taking an idea and moving on to the next step closer to realizing it? Yeah, I'm a great fan of Lean Startup, Eric Ries, so I recommend that to read to read that um, or watch, like you can watch podcasts, you can uh, watch video episodes. There is a lot of content out there about the Lean Startup model. And there is something called the MVP, the Minimal Viable Product. Um, like, I don't care how you call it and how minimal it has to be and so on, but it's important that you get the grain or uh, the essence of it. So you try to, like, you have your, 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 like your hypothesis, still work with your hypothesis, like um, a focus group or a customer interview or something is like the first step. You work on your hypothesis, maybe they change a little bit, and then you just want to get more proof for your hypothesis. So you still have your hypothesis, and you build something which has nothing to do, or probably not much to do with your end product, but it is just like a, a, a crutch to test your, um, your hypothesis. And when you, when you build that, you try to invest, like you, you're mad, you have two main goals. First main goal is I want to test my hypothesis. Second main goal, I want to be fast and I don't want to spend resources on it. And so you do that. And it can be a web page. It can be um, a web app because you don't build a whole app. You just build a web app. It can be, um, it can be an event, for example. If you say, I want to open a restaurant, just do like a one-day event somewhere. Mm -hmm. Cook whatever you want to serve in your restaurant and see what the feedback is. And maybe your minimal viable product is, I want to test these recipes. And I think uh, people in Bern love Peruvian food. And if you do at the market the Peruvian food stand and no one shows up, that's maybe a good indicator. Yeah. Maybe you should then think about something else. Maybe you should think about Peruvian uh, drinks and do some Pisco Sour. Or you would do a Thai kitchen. If you say, I want to do a restaurant and I want to bring other cultures to Switzerland, then maybe you realize, okay, Thai works in Bern. Sure. I think that, that, that's like then like really like trying to test and giving a little bit more putting a little bit more skin into the game. Mm -hmm. I personally highly like, like this idea and this approach, how uh, to sort of start realizing and testing an idea. But at the same time, I had a pretty controversial discussion with our CTO last week, where he said this whole MVP understanding, it's, it makes sense in theory, and probably also was applicable about, I don't know, a couple of years ago when Facebook and other companies launched. But his point was that people are also used to have good quality products. Again, that's also a very Swiss point where people want to have something that's working, don't really accept something that's only half done. So his point was that MVP can make sense in some senses, but most of the cases you need to have still a pretty good product. What are you th your thoughts on this and also how to balance this in a Swiss environment? I completely disagree with him. <laughs> um, I think he did not fully understand the concept of the MVP. He sees the MVP as a part of the final product. Mm -hmm. um, I think you should think as something completely different. Like, let's take again, I think the, 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 the cooking um, example is like very easy to understand. So let's say there is someone who wants to open up a Peruvian restaurant. Um, like your colleague would now say, let's open a restaurant, but we buy cheap chairs and we buy bad in ingredients. It would suck, of course, and it would not be a valid test would the restaurant have worked. Mm -hmm. But if you say, no, we buy the best ingredients, we would buy the ingredients we would then buy for the restaurant. 
the only thing we do is because we don't believe, we don't want to find out do people in Bern like restaurants. We want to find out do they like Peruvian dishes. We can do a stand where we cook Peruvian dishes because we know if a stand is selling food, people would also go to their restaurants. Look at the Indian guy who is selling uh, um, dal at the, at the market. If the people are eating dal there, they will also eat dal in his restaurant. They like dal. So if that is the case, then just do um, a market stand where you sell the Peruvian dishes, but you do the greatest market stand. You don't do a half-baked market stand. But the market stand will never appear again in the restaurant. There will be no market stand. Right. But it is a valid point to prove that the people in Bern like Peruvian kitchen. And the good thing about the market stand is that you can talk with these people. Like you can even follow them. Like ideally you are two or three people. Like one is leaving, like when you sell a dish, one is leaving and then does a customer interview and say, do you like it? Is it too hot? Is it too sour? Um, what is it? Um, do you feel comfortable? Would you recommend it to a friend? I think that's really, really important to understand about the concept. So I think it's important that we don't see it as a part of the final product. Yeah. Even think of something that is not part of the final product. Like if you want to build an app, probably it is a website. If you want to build a website, maybe it's an app. It doesn't have to do anything right. with, with each other. I think that's a very, very good explanation that I think will be helpful to a lot of people. How do we actually do that then with, with Power Coders? After you have the positive feedback, you launched your first pilot. Yeah, so the unfortunate thing about, we thought a lot about how can we do a smaller MVP? And the problem is if you have like a lot of stakeholders involved, then, um, and you want to test that, like you can test it like solely. Like for example, I, I give you two examples, like the thing which we did in Bern and the thing we are now doing in the different cities. So um, what we do is, uh, what we did is that we said, okay, let's do just the first class. It will cost us somewhere between 100 and 150,000. If we find sponsors who are actually financing that, we are building something which is close to the perfect product, right. which is not the perfect product, but which is close. And it's not really an MVP because we were able to afford it. And we said, if, it's, if it doesn't work, it's okay. Then we just stop or we pivot from there on. We were in a very fortunate situation here. I have to mention that. But now what we do to test our stakeholders, we're not testing them together. So we don't build a school. We don't offer internships. If we go to Istanbul, for example, we're going now. So in Istanbul, what we do, we do a coding day. So we invite, we want to find out our hypothesis is that there are enough refugees who have the talent to then work in an IT company. So we do a coding day. We invite people from their locals, refugees locally, we invite them to do a coding test. We do this coding test also with our Swiss classes and we then benchmark them and they get a certificate. We send them a nice certificate, a PDF they can use if, they, if, if there is no power coders eventually in their city or if they are not selected for power coders, they will have a certificate being part of the coding day, power coders coding day in Istanbul. Mm -hmm. But we know what is the quality and we can benchmark it so we can have a little MVP about the um, hypothesis, there is enough talent. Then what we also do is that we do interviews with companies, like in Istanbul, we are meeting these companies, we are signing letter of intent with them, mm -hmm. where we say, would you take um, an, uh, uh, an, uh, uh, a refugee, would you offer them an internship? And we see now that like 
about 90% of the ones who are saying that they would are actually then following up. So if they sign an LOE, we know not everyone will convert, but the majority will convert. If we are not able to sign like 20 LOEs, and we, are, we have asked like 40 or 50 companies and we're not able to sign 20 LOEs, probably that's not the ground we can work on. And then we realized also after the first, um, uh, uh, after the first pilot in Bern, we realized that the volunteers, it's quite easy to, to find them. So we don't have much uh, um, hypothesis on that. So the ma main drivers are refugees enough talented, companies enough open to offer internships. And so we have like really easy MVPs now. And the coding day, we never do again during the program. The coding day is a classical example of an MVP mm -hmm. because just to find out do they have the talent. I think that's also a strong message. The MVP testing or testing and validating new ideas never stops. No, never stops. It always keeps on going. It keeps on going. I think you can take the unsolved matrix. Maybe people are familiar with that, where you have like new markets and new products. So no matter if you are introducing like a new feature to your product, it, it's very uh, good advice to work with the Lean Startup model. Mm -hmm. Or if you go as we are now, going to a new market where you don't know is this market similar to Switzerland or not. Right. So you have to test again. And so I think it's a great model when you are growing. Yeah. You also mentioned 20 LOIs uh, as an example, how you can measure whether such a test is successful or not. Are there any other sorts of measures, data that you gather to then actually ev evaluate the idea whether it's any good or not? I think it's, you really have to, uh, to analyze, are you in the B2B or in the B2C field? I think um, B2B, uh, a very valid instrument is LOI, customer interviews and so on. And in the B2C field, I think it's actually like really user data mm -hmm. that you have to see. Like, I think it's really important to understand how expensive is it to get a user. It is really important to see how, what is the conversion uh, rate, like how do they convert over several levels um, to find out like with what do I end up um, at the bottom and then to see like what is the revenue that they actually generate down here. And if you really like, and I think this funnel, like I, 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 I was uh, a little bit afraid of measuring too much. I don't know why, maybe I was not so data driven, mm -hmm. I guess, but I think when I'm saying, um, ideation, testing, documentation, in that field of testing, measuring is super important. Testing is not, like testing is one part, but measuring is the more important part, like where you actually get the feedback. And I think with B2C, measuring is even more important because you are in a quantitative model. I think it's important for B2B, like to find out what is the price point and so on. Of course. But in the B2C field, it's super important. So I would really recommend that. Did he do that just with a spreadsheet or did he use any additional resources to track these things? Actually, I was never in the, in, 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 in the situation of, uh, of doing it too much. Um, but um, I think spreadsheet is a good point to start. But then if it comes to bigger numbers, like I think Google Analytics can help. Mm -hmm. There are um, funnel and conversion tools you can use. Like I'm really not the expert, but I would recommend to do maybe do um, an episode on how to measure B2C because I think it's a really interesting field. And I think you can learn so much in that field about your customer because you don't have the opportunity to talk in the same way as if you are B2B. There is an interesting episode coming up in that regard with Alan from Amorana, who's okay. completely focused on that field. Yeah, I think it's like a whole, a whole different discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
you, you've also been in this situation when you then realize that your idea is changing or not really fitting your personal vision or personal goal. Mm -hmm. How do you realize when it's time to either kill an idea or to move on from an idea? If you, the only difference between killing and moving on is, is the idea attractive for someone else? Mm -hmm. So like Swiss printer was that I felt, okay, I have to move on mainly because I was drawn so much by power coders. But I, on the other hand, I knew that Swiss printer, it didn't have to do much to do with Swiss printer. It had to do with me. Mm -hmm. Like I just had the feeling I have to move on because there is other things which are at the moment more important for me to do. Um, and so I think it's like something which comes from very deep like that you realize it's a feeling. It has a lot to do with me, with motivation. Like if I look uh, in, in the mirror in the morning and ask myself, are you like really happy to do this today? And then you say, mm, no, nah, not really. And if that happens like every day, every day, then it's time to move on. And, and, the, and the question is then, is it time to kill the idea? because no one, else will, no one else will look in their mirror and say, oh yeah, I get up every morning for that because mm -hmm. it's cool. Then it's like, okay, let's kill the idea. And, um, and if it's the other thing, if you say, no, it's like really me, like with Atizo, with Whispreneur, it was like really that I had the feeling to move on of two completely different reasons in that case. Um, but that doesn't matter too much. I think it's not so much like understanding in, on a rational level why you want to move on, but so much more on an emotional level in your body to feel, you feel that you move on. You don't understand it, but you feel. And then really trust your, your gut feeling to say, okay, that's not a moment. I think this might sound stupid to people who have never been in such a situation, but also from my personal experience, the gut feeling was usually always right. Mm -hmm. Whether you want to listen to it or not, if we then make the other decision and you realize it later on, you remember that, oh, my guts were actually telling me this. Yeah. And I think that's also very good advice to not ignore these feelings because of pressure or you want to make other people happy, but to really listen to it and follow it. Do you know why it is that way? I have no clue. No clue? I, I, I probably don't have the answer, but I, I, I have a thought on it. And I think that the gut feeling, you can just ignore Mm -hmm. You can't overrule. And I think with like thoughts in my brain, like if I think, okay, I think I have to leave uh, a TISO, then I can al always overrule that and say, no, no, I don't have to leave a TISO because of this and that reason. And really make it for myself sound like, okay, no, 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 that was a stupid idea. But with the gut feeling, I can just ignore it, but it always comes back. And the moment it comes back, it hits me so much harder than the first time that at one point it just knocks me out mm -hmm. and I can just ignore it, but it will come back. And I think that's the beauty about the gut feeling. It, you, can, you can't trick your guts, you can just ignore them. And so therefore, I think that's the reason why. And, and, and I think if, if it's not nagging you, mm -hmm. then you are not at that point. You should not think about, should I stop my business? You will feel it, but the moment you should feel it, you should listen to it. Don't ignore that too long. And I think with Atizo, I was ignoring it too long. And that was the reason why Mike Naff always said, but now you're at the same point. You told me that the last time. And maybe Mike was a person where I really like shared with him 
Like what really was my concern and where I didn't tell him the arguments out of my head, but I actually shared the feelings. And that was the reason why that was probably the only time again where this feeling came back and hit me even stronger. You should move on. When did that feeling hit you? For example, when you were drinking beer on a roof terrace with Reto, for example, or when did that actually happen? I think actually it was like, I think maybe it was just with Mike. It could be that it was mainly with Mike. Um, maybe it was when I had certain things to do, like when I uh, had to, to do like five sales meetings during one day and sales was not my thing and I just had to do it in the morning, looking at the mirror. I think morning is like a very honest moment in your life or in your day, like in your day. Like when in the morning, it, when in the morning it doesn't feel right, then it is probably. And um, probably alcohol is not the answer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't help to like really listen to your guts. It's only postponing. Yeah, it's more like helping you to ignore. Like that also, like if you're drinking a lot and people say you should move on, maybe alcohol is uh, a tool to ignore your feelings, maybe rather that, I would say. We will cover in other episodes following this one, how you can then actually uh, tackle the other areas like marketing or fundraising. But before we conclude this episode, is there anything else you would like to add uh, or sort of give to Swiss founders as a recommendation uh, to follow in regarding, regarding the ideas that they pursue? Yeah, I think the, the, it, probably they heard it a lot. Like, I think maybe it's a little bit of summary out of my 16 episodes. So what I, what I heard the most was that people were saying, just go out there and try. And I think we are taking ourselves too serious. Like, I think if you are going out there and you fail in certain, like, small steps, it's like everyone else. Like, it doesn't look like failing a little bit, doesn't look like failing. So go out there, take small steps, start failing, because failing is learning. And the only thing I can recommend is go out there and don't be afraid. Like, just go out there and try. Like, I, I just did a bachelor degree. I never did a master degree. And for me, having my own startup was so much more, it gave me so much more than a master degree, any one of my friends did, that I said, that, that was perfect, actually. And in the end, like, a lot of people who are looking at Atizo, they say, what a success, like, the company is still around. And for me, it was not success, or it was both. It was failing, it was success, and not being successful, it was both. And I think that's always the case. If you are in the middle of something, it is never just pure success or pure unsuccessfulness. So I think like seeing the whole thing and seeing it as a part, as an experience of your life, I think that makes it very, very important. Um, that's the main message to the ones who are thinking about ideas and being becoming entrepreneurs. Hopefully like a lot of people and even more people in the future. But then maybe a message to the ones you are interviewing. The message to the ones you are interviewing, I think we are still not doing such a good job of like uh, giving advice to the younger ones because what we are trying to do and even me because we were raised like that like even I'm saying that and I tried and that's one of the reasons why I did a TESO how I did a TESO and brought it to a successful end which in the end no one cares like I think it's important that we are starting to speak about the hard times because media is not doing that like if you read an interview in the Handels Zeitung about Mike Neff you believe he's like Batman or, or, or Spider-Man or some other kind of superhero. And he's not, it's just Mike. And if you then take Mike on an episode and Mike is really open with you and is sharing all his stuff and his struggles, 
I think that's like really the valuable thing. And that's the reason why I think that Swisspreneur is so valuable. And that's why I encourage everyone you're interviewing, mainly share the struggle, mainly share that you were failing because the other stuff is covered by our media. We don't have to be like these great superstars. Actually not. We are not helping the ecosystem with doing that. I think that's a very nice closing point. Thank you so much again for taking the time to speak with me today, Chris. And I wish you lots of success for all your future projects and we'll be in touch very soon. I wish you good luck and lots of fun. Thank you. Thank you.